Okay. We are on. Let's go. Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to another special edition of the Asia Tech Podcast. Today, we are joined by Eustace Daze. Nailed it. A co-founder and the CEO of Mertis. Eustace, thank you so much for coming on the show and for putting up with my mispronunciation of your name. How are you doing? Thank you very much, Michael, for having me. No, you you did actually pretty pretty well there. So right. I've heard a lot in my life so far. <laughs> I think I told you, I know another guy named Eustace, so at least I've heard it before. Do you know what I mean? I'm not making it up on the fly. Anyway. Before we get into the main part of our conversation, can we give our listeners a little bit of your background for some context? Of course, sure. So, yeah, um, as you already introduced my name, so uh, from my background, actually, I'm I'm located in Germany. From my educational background, I'm a lawyer, um, but always during my my legal education times university, I was always really into into founding company, being entrepreneur. I Worked on on different projects all the time, um, so that's what really got me into yeah entrepreneurship basically. And now, after finishing my legal education, I focused on a new project with one of with a co-founder of mine, and yeah, we are in the in the IT contracting, IT recruiting business. So that's uh, that's our focus at the moment, and yeah, he's the tech guy in the company. I'm the legal guy in the company, and together, that's uh, yeah, that's how we teamed up. For Sounds our like a good mergers. combination. Can I ask you this though? Like, I had a corporate job for twenty something years, and during that entire time, like, it didn't occur to me to go out and start my own business. Do you come from like an entrepreneurial family? Is your like brother or your cousin running their own company as well, or is it just something you graduated from? your legal studies and you're just like, I can't do this. I got to start my own thing. Like, how did that happen? A lot of people ask me that. And I think my parents, uh, despite being entrepreneurs themselves, uh, don't really get why I didn't uh, choose the the usual corporate lawyer track really? after 10 years of legal education. So <laughs> I've had some discussions on on that with my family as well, Go ahead. to be honest. But uh, yeah, actually from, from, from my back, uh, from my family background, yeah, they are also entrepreneurs. So, well, my dad is a doctor, but he has, is, had his own practice and my mom is an entrepreneur as well. My brother changed from a large corporate consulting company to being a sole entrepreneur himself as well. So it must be something uh, genetic, I would say. And yeah, that's, that's probably one of the largest influences. Do you think, so my brother is, my brother's a neurosurgeon, right? He's a doctor. He's also in his own practice. And do you think most people actually understand just how entrepreneurial doctors, and maybe this is just true for the West or the East is a little bit different, but just how entrepreneurial doctors are. In other words, I don't think most people think of them as business people, but to be fair, I think my brother spends as much time running his business as he does operating on people's brains and spines. Is that fair? Well, I'm not really an expert on that point, but I must say from what I saw uh, in my father's life, at least, I think he really was the kind of person that just wanted to help people and he wasn't really focused on the business but he had to cope with all the challenges yeah. of having an own, having his own business but they're not i would say they're not born businessmen they're more like born to actually help people and that's how they understand themselves as well and i think a lot of doctors are actually bad businessmen as well <laughs> you think so but, uh, that's uh, i'm i'm not sure but i think a lot of them yeah they they didn't become doctors in the first place uh, to yeah to make make large business open large business but more yeah, uh, to actually help people. 
Look, I spend a lot of time talking to entrepreneurs, and one of the things I really like to know is the response from the family. And, you know, you've mentioned this a little bit already, but, you know, your family does, you do come from a family of entrepreneurs, but you said they were surprised when you actually went out and started your own business. You know, my family expected me to be a lawyer, and I just wasn't interested in doing it. So you went further than I did. You at least went out and got the education. Um, I just went right into finance. I'm curious what those conversations were like, if you don't mind me asking. Well, these discussions, uh, well, I never, never really had discussions uh, in a form that they wanted to push me into any direction that that would be wrong to say, say it in that form. But at the same time, so I went to legal education for about 10 years. Wow. I did a master's abroad in Australia as well on top. So I really have the full package to become a, become a, yeah full-on corporate lawyer in, in one of the big five law firms. So, of course, at some point they asked, are you really sure you want to take this uncertain path of being an entrepreneur and start your own business? And uh, isn't it also attractive just to start earning the big money uh, right away instead of having all these risks associated to, to being an, an entrepreneur? And, well, I, I didn't really have to persuade anyone because it's it's my decision in For the sure. end of the day. But um, of course, as if like, as a functioning family, you want to have everybody on the same track. Exactly. And I think they they trusted me to perform really well because they just see that I really enjoy what I'm doing, and I think that's what's most important for them. And yeah, I'm I'm happy to have my family support as well. So and now that's that nice. they see everything is really picking up and they're they're actually curious to hear more about what I actually do. I think they still don't understand 100% maybe uh, everything what I'm doing. But yeah, that's I'm curious about this word you used uncertainty, right? I mean, for those of us that are running our own businesses, it's hard to it's hard to explain to people just what it's like to operate inside of an environment of uncertainty. And yet you do this doubly, right? Because if you're dealing with IT um, recruiting and IT consulting, I think you said, you know, there's a whole bunch of people that you need to work with that aren't necessarily working full time. Like you're not really sure what's happening. How do you deal with this uncertainty? And then how do you help other people that you're either recruiting or working with also deal with that uncertainty? Well, uncertainty, I think, is best to be dealt with by really clear communication. So it, let's start, for example, I, I get some a client reaches out to me with some kind of project request yep. and everything is really uncertain. So that's, I, I cannot really start my work on that. And I could, cannot put high hopes, high hopes on an opportunity that is really uncertain. So what we try to try to tell our team as well, and what we have to like implement in our daily lives is yeah. How to really handle uncertainty and, open and clear communication not like rushing in on things to immediately but like also working on your own expectations and managing your own expectations is something you really have to do yeah on a, on a daily basis um otherwise you're basically wasting time and putting hopes and then yeah you're getting frustrated as well if you work yeah. on uncertain projects and nothing turns out in a positive way in the end of the day can you back up for me for a little bit? And, you know, I spent the last 30 years living in Asia, but I'm, I'm aware that Germany is the largest economy in Europe. And I'm curious when you step back and look at the IT businesses in Europe, like how would you characterize what that market looks like to you? And then maybe, maybe dig a little bit deeper in how you're attacking it from your perspective. So I think I can really not talk it. I think at least for the whole Europe 
European market because it is really versatile within Europe as well. We have really different cultural backgrounds within Europe. It's yep. such a yes, such a multi multinational continent. So it really varies whether you're in like talking about UK, Ireland, or if you go more towards the east of Europe. So it can it can vary. But at least in Germany, what characterizes our our market most, I think a lot of companies are at the moment in in a real a transition mode so a lot of organizations are still working really old school school everything is working in german language everything is still focused on people working on site of course covid uh, yeah forced a major change in a lot of organizations but a lot of these organizations are actually going back to old habits again so they're forcing their workforce to go back into the office 100 percent. and there's some friction that is being created in that um, in that context and especially in terms of it that is a huge problem because we have a huge yeah a huge demand of skilled labor in our country so companies are really really struggling to find the right people for the projects they all have huge uh, roadmaps in their it so of course digitization automize uh, automation of yeah all kinds of processes is is right up there on the list but they don't really find the people to yeah, to to pick up these challenges and really make a difference. So that's that's a situation a lot of organizations are in, and their internal cut culture is not really suiting their demands, and that that friction is really yeah is is really an issue, and I think that's one of the major aspects. Uh, yeah, organizations in Germany have to be working on. But how do you help them solve that, right? In other words, if you're doing IT consulting and if you're doing IT recruiting, right, you've got to be a solution to that problem. Where do you go to find these highly skilled people? And I think this is true everywhere in the world, right? I mean, their entire business is built around how do I get people to, to do my technology projects that are endemic to what I'm trying to build if I'm in Silicon Valley, if I'm in Berlin, if I'm in Munich, and yet I can't find the right people or the right amount of people. So it's a multi-layered question, right? Like, how do you find them? And then how do you get the cultural match, right? Because this is also super important. You can hire a great technologist, but if they don't fit culturally with the business into which they're embedded, that's also a challenge. Like, how do you work around all of this stuff and make sure you find those right things? That's a lot of questions in one question. Yeah, I can't help <laughs> To it. be honest. I'm an interested um, dude. So I, I <laughs> yeah, um, I think, so... First of all, maybe it's interesting also to have a look at the at the scale of the problem. So totally. in 2022, we had 137,000 open IT vacancies. And until 2030, they're expecting 1.1 million open IT vacancies only in the German market. Wow. So that that really gives you the impression of the problem we're facing in the next, we're 2023 now, so seven years. And yeah, a lot of companies are going to be struggling more and more. So... If you cannot really find the the scaled labor in your own local market, or with at least with with the propositions you have in forms of like working, uh, yeah, working hours, work location, language requirements, whatnot, you really on the one hand have to change as an organization. Yeah. You have to be open to English speaking candidates. You have to be open to remote work policies or home office uh, policies. That's that that has to be a new standard if you really want to attract skilled, uh, yeah, skilled labor. So just just last week, I've spoken to to two friends of mine who work in like medium to large size uh, organizations, 
and they mentioned that their companies rolled back on the on the home office um yeah home office rules after the pandemic so they want everyone to be on site 100% now wow. 100% in the office and they just one of the companies actually had to take back that decision already because they just had too many people quitting their jobs within two weeks of that notice because people just got used to it. It is the new standard and it's what people expect if you want to be a modern uh, modern employer. Yeah. Wow. So I think organizations really have to work on work on that. But if you just have a look at the numbers, it's it's not going to be solved by having home office and uh, English speaking uh, people in your in your team and like being open minded culturally. So you also have to also like as an economy itself, like you mentioned, largest European economy. Yeah, but we have to really attract skilled labor from abroad. So we have to be attractive for immigration. I think that's a, that's a huge aspect. And we yeah. have to have really fast track immigration options. And I'm not really sure. Maybe that's also an interesting question in it your is. direction. If Germany is still is still such an interesting country for tech people uh, on, a, on a global scale to immigrate to? I'm, I'm not so sure what the answer on that question would be. But what do you think, right? In other words, when people think about, people look at what governments are doing, right? They'll look at the Irish government. In some ways, they'll look at what the city of London is doing. Um, the US is just a show of, all, of its own, but you, know, you look at what Singapore is doing, and you even look at what Fukuoka in Japan is doing, offering special visas to people that are adding value in what they consider to be sort of like S-curve growth style companies. Tech is a big part of this. I don't know, right? But is the German government doing that, whether it's in just one city like Berlin or another city like Munich, or is it doing it for the whole country? Like, how is that working? What do we expect people to think about Germany when they think about it? Well, of course, we have uh, we have some models that are supposed to enable like yeah, easy immigration into Germany for yeah for skilled labor that we are actually that are badly needed in the market. So, especially IT. So there is uh, there is fast track procedures in in that regard. But okay. still, the whole process is extremely uh, extremely tough, and it's not that it not it's not as digital as one would maybe expect. So you still need your paper documents in original. So we're actually employing a guy from Colombia who's joining our team next week, and I had to send the original one page uh, certification from some German authority by post express oh, no. uh, to Colombia so that he could bring the original to the um, to the embassy in Colombia and it cost me 86 euro just for one page to <laughs> to arrive in Colombia and it's super slow and it's it's yeah it's just a huge hustle uh, a hassle and it's it's not what I would call a fast track, easy and easily accessible process. So definitely something to be improved. On. So are there again in in the region where I live, you have some of these governments that are setting up specific. I don't even know if they're agencies, right, to handle some of this stuff. Is there an avenue to the government in Germany, whether it's the regional government or the federal government, the national government? to try to change these policies, right? Like, I feel like around me, I hear constant discussions in both in Thailand, but in Singapore as well, about how do we make this easier for people to do this? Are those discussions also happening there? Because for your, you know, if I look at the stats you talked about, 137,000 open jobs now and a million open jobs by 2030, like this is going to be a problem. And it's not just in Germany, it's everywhere, I think, where this problem is going to be. But are those discussions actually taking place? 
or that they're just they're really good at discussing but they're not as good in actually changing and adapting i would say so everybody's really aware of this but nothing is like at least it's it's only my personal opinion but nothing is changing in a dimension or in the dimension that really fits the numbers that we already discussed right so there's there's still a lot of room for improvement and um yeah but that's that's also the the aspect of digitization in the public sector so uh, public authorities they're they're really far behind i would say in in terms of digitization but yeah th i think that that's an, a completely other aspect i would like to get back on something you mentioned earlier so what's what's the alternatives on yeah. on actually challenge yeah or, yeah like what, what how can we actually approach these challenges right so if you're unable to find workers to actually uh, skilled labor to join your internal team, you kind of have to find a different solution. And one aspect that is adding to the problem, I would say, or that is a, is a new dimension in, in the whole topic is the generation Z is completely different to the expectations of generation X and the baby boomers. So they're, they're completely new and we're still having to figure out, I think, what effect they're going to have on the labor market uh, or our future labor market. They're only starting to, to enter the labor market now and they have completely different demands to what the generations before had. So they want to be more flexible. They want to be, they, they are really into remote working. They self-determination is is really an important aspect for for the generation Z. that's that's something i would say the classical nine to five position as an employee yeah. in, a, in a large enterprise cannot really provide so what we identify and the numbers also show it is freelancing becomes more and more interesting for yeah for modern it experts really and that's why we say at mertis as well that companies really have to figure out a way how to really integrate freelance experts into their IT roadmap. How can external IT resources actually yeah, provide a benefit in order to be able to, yeah, to reach the goals of your roadmap? And if you're not going to be open to working with external experts because they want to work in a self-determined, flexible, remote uh, base, then you're really going to yeah, probably not get access to the best talent you need for your projects. So the, here's where it gets super interesting, right? I think you're right. And again, I, don't, I interact with a lot of people from Gen Z and I'm trying to understand like, how those ideas around being more flexible, actually working for freelancing, but working for big companies, right? And then this self-determination and also working on things that are important to them. Right, like I remember when I was at Morgan Stanley, it's super important, right? When I was at Morgan Stanley, I remember my boss came over to me literally on a Friday, and this happened to me a bunch of times, and said, "Okay, um, we need you to move to this new department and start this new thing." And I was like, "I really don't want to do that." And literally, my this was a five minute conversation, and my boss said to me, "That's great, you start on Monday." And there was no other discussion. You're smiling, but like that actually happened, and I can't imagine today that that same conversation happening with a Gen Z. But here's what's super interesting for me. In the context of Mertis, right, you're hiring people, but you're also consulting with people. And at some level, you may be, and tell me where I'm wrong here, you may be placing some of these people that come onto your team to work on projects for big companies. And you're sitting in the middle trying to figure out, how do I motivate this gal who's a kind of a freelancer to work with this big company 
And how do I communicate between the both of them to make sure that they understand each other, right? Like how big of a challenge is that for you and how do you handle that? So there's 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 different parts of this question as well. So on the one hand, we do not only hire people directly. So we also do a lot of subcontracting. So people really work as freelancers. They can really choose the project they want to work on. So basically we have a client looking for I don't, a developer, let's say front-end developer, whatever um, technology. And then we provide the resource and they actually remain a freelance. So they are a, a contractor, yep. our subcontractor. Yep. So this way we can really actually achieve yeah, the, the goals that, that these people are yeah, why they actually chose to work as a, on, on a freelance basis in the first place. But if we if we bring some of our internal um, team members into a client project, yeah, it, it can be a huge challenge. And it's it really depends on the client organization. Some of them are really well prepared. They have process, processes in place that okay. really have a clear path. They have uh, agile methodology in place. So it, it's, it's really clear who has which role and there's a meeting structure and you have yeah clear responsibilities so then it's really easy for people with this uh, yeah with a mutual attitude to to project organization to actually collaborate in whatever team so they they can um they can work together pretty neatly but if you have a client organization that is not as well prepared right. it can be really challenging and that's where where friction comes up as well so I just want to use the, the person that you've hired from Colombia as kind of an example or a metaphor. Because, you know, again, if I'm, and Japan is my main experience, right? So if I'm sitting in Japan and I'm hiring a Japanese person, I understand both culturally, right, and education-wise, like what I'm getting. Because I've been there, and particularly if, and I'm not Japanese, but if I were a Japanese person, I would know what I was getting basically by just like having a conversation with this person, once you expand out of your kind of known universe, right? So when you go outside of Germany and end up hiring somebody from Colombia, like unless you've hired a hundred Colombian people, how do you incorporate that? Because we talked about culture and language as well. Like how do you incorporate that into all the other things that you're doing? Like that alone is a challenge. If you've ever been in an international relationship with anybody, you know that like what you say and what you mean end up being two different things, but in a work environment, it can be really difficult to deal with. Like, how does that work as well? It's going to be really interesting to see how it ends up. So it's, <laughs> uh, it's nothing I've done before as well. So uh, I, I'm curious as, as you are, to be honest, but I think, uh, first of all, we have to start with a really positive approach. So it's also about sure. our own attitude towards the situation. So uh, I, it's not even like the phrase benefit of the doubt. That's that's already the wrong attitude. So yeah, just yeah. having yeah, having a positive, it'll it'll work out in the end. And so we have we have a huge demand. It's, it's not only our company. Yep. Every every consultancy, whatever, probably Europe wide has a huge demand for skilled developers. And if they have the right skills, we have to be open as well. And I'm really I'm really convinced. Also, I I have lived in Central America. I don't, I'm not sure if that's if it's going to be a similar attitude I'm I'm going to be I'm going to be facing or like similar cultural uh, aspects I'm yeah we're going to be confronted with but in the end of the day if somebody decides to relocate to Europe uh, they they already bring this kind of personality that they're open to yeah. a new culture as well so it already kind of um, yeah kind of hints 
that it's going to be a, a, just an individual that is open to working uh, with other with other cultural or with with people from other cultural backgrounds as well. So I think that's going to be a huge advantage. But otherwise, um, again, I think it's the aspect of communication. So you really have to you really have to figure out the right means of communication, and it's but that's something that also accounts for like for really um, for real like for a team that consists of members only let's say from from one region that all speak the same language so even within a, a really like culturally homogen how do you say in english homogeneous. Homogeneous, homogeneous homogeneous sorry thank you very much michael uh, homogeneous team you still have hugely different people and it's just a new dimension of having a less homogeneous team and uh, yeah, but otherwise, I must say I don't have extensive experience in that, and I'm also curious to see uh, if if my positive attitude is going to be rewarded, or if in a year time I'm going to be there. Ah, maybe I was too. Uh, yeah, I'm bullish. Too for you. positive about. I'm it. bullish. I don't you. think so. I don't think so. No, I think you'll be able to figure Thank this you. out in a way that's <laughs> real. Here's the other thing, though. How do you find like discovery? is really difficult, whether it's having people discover your business, meaning mine, right, or discover any business, but how do you discover the right talent, particularly if they're not in the same place as you, right? In other words, finding a, a killer person in Colombia or a killer person in California or in Kansas, how do you judge, like, whether they're going to be great or not to actually make the commitment to bring them all the way to Germany, right? It's a big commitment on your side and on their side, yeah? that's that's actually very true so i think uh yeah our digital globalized work really uh, world really helps in, in that aspect so we can do video meetings in advance before we actually meet people i would never rely only on, on a one-time meeting i would say okay at least see somebody twice before we can actually hire someone and best case scenario that you are actually able to meet them somewhere in person beforehand so yeah. we are really lucky uh, we were able to meet uh, in in Germany before we actually made the decision of hiring the person. Awesome. So that that was our, our advantage, <clears throat> and I think it's something that really minimizes the the fear or minimizes risk, whatever way you want to put it. Um, but that's of course something you're not always going to be be able to do. So I think again, it's about open communication in both directions. So you really have to communicate well, what the expectations are, and also what the risks are, and that it's that it's clear to everyone that if it doesn't work, you're not going to hurt anyone's feelings, because it's a test both ways. Yeah, it is. So if, if I would be hiring someone that I've never met in person before, we've only had two video calls. Um, yeah, they don't really know me either. It's 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 a two way street. So yeah, it has to be clear to everyone that you have a mutual goal and mutual interest that that which you're gonna try to achieve, but that a lot could happen on the way. And I think if that's clear to everyone, and if everybody's willing to work on these issues by communicating clearly, then you have a good chance of making it. But but your question was, yeah, where do you actually find these people? So yeah, yeah I think it's 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 about putting yourself out there and having having a good reach in. Social media is a huge thing as well. So you can actually do job postings that reach people at the other end of the world without ever having heard of the place that these people are from. So, so let's just take LinkedIn. You put a put a new job opening on LinkedIn and you receive applications from all over the world. And that's it's only a first touch point, of course. But if you really take these applications seriously, there is a lot of 
low quality fit to the positions you may be looking for. But there's occasionally there's these one or two candidates that really suit your or the the skills you may require pretty well. And in in relation to that, it's really about having a streamlined process to actually pick up these these candidate leads and having a good process in place to actually figure out in how far these candidates do fit your team, not only from the technical, but also from the from the personal standpoint. In in a world where Sam Altman seems to be coming more famous than Bill Gates and where Microsoft is investing billions of dollars into open AI, is there a tech component, I wouldn't say solution, to the way you vet the candidates that you're hiring both for internal and external? Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> so there's there's a lot of solutions that attempt or that at least pretend to be AI-based matching of uh, job descriptions and candidates. And yeah. I think in reality, it's a lot of like just filters uh, looking for search words and saying, okay, this profile might be, may be accurate for this kind of position. And of course, it can be a good starting point, but it has nothing to do with AI, really. It's just it's just a filter. Right. Uh, so if, if a profile, if I'm looking for a Java developer and the profile states Java, yeah, great. That's a fit, but we all know it doesn't really mean it's a fit. It has really nothing to say. It could be anything. Uh, so that's, that's where, where that gets us. So maybe it can help me like to at least reduce the amount of candidates I'm going to have, have a serious look at, but it's, it's not going to solve my problem of really matching a person for a suitable position. I think. AI in its current state, especially like ChatGPT, everyone is talking about it. Yeah. So that's that's like a, a, a textual a machine learning text text tool, really. And it's 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 great in helping you maybe writing content for your website, blogs, I don't know, social media posts and all that. But it's yeah, it, it's it's not even meant to solve that kind of problem. Yeah. I think so. Sam Altman also in a in a recent interview, I think mentioned that people are going crazy on their expectations re re regarding the chat uh, GPT-4, uh, the GPT-4, so the next version, and like all these rumors and crazy expectations on what, what the next version might be able to do. Like he went like, okay, people, like you're really asking to be disappointed with right, the expectation level you're putting out there. Yes, yeah, slow down. So um, it, it's, it's not going to be that extreme. And I think, I don't know if you've tried out chat GPT yourself, it can bit, be yeah. really useful, especially in the in the in the context of of writing text and uh, structuring text and summarizing text, all that. But um, also other AI tools. Again, back to the to the matching part. I think they they can of course help maybe to to filter candidate profiles to a certain extent, but they will never be able to to reconstruct really the the elements that are so important in the people's business. So HR, it's always about people. It and I think not. there's two aspects to this. On the one hand, the AI will not be able to predict uh, empathy, sympathy, like first impression in a, in a, in a conversation. Yeah. So that's maybe it's only me being ignorant to deny artificial intelligence disability. And maybe in the future, it'll prove me wrong. But at least from today's perspective, it's something that's not, that that is, that cannot be, replaced by AI. And on the other hand, I think we also have to look at like the 
we, I think we heard this at a at NFQ summit as well, a speech from from Jan on the net value of technology. Yeah. So why are we actually using technology? Is it only about having the most efficient process, or is it that we actually have a process that fits that that really fits our needs in in the organization? And if it comes to HR, if you apply to a job, you want to have have human interaction as well Absolutely. with with somebody it's about like having um somebody valuing your your um your application and actually being showing interest in your application and wanting to find more about your personality if it fits to the organization so if you only have a completely automated process you get an email thanks for your application and now please upload this and then next round yeah please answer this questionnaire whatever you don't have any personal interaction and HR is a people's business. And I think if you really want to succeed in this so-called war on talent, especially in this highly demanded uh, labor uh, demanding labor markets like IT in regions like Germany, you really have to be fast and organizations are really bad at being fast. And you have to kind of approach the people also on the personal level. And that's also something, yeah, technology cannot really solve. Eustace, that's an amazing way to end. I really appreciate your time today. Eustace Daze, a co-founder and the CEO of Mertis. Thank you so much for doing this today. Thank you very much, Michael. Thanks for having me again.